especially after a pandemic, it's likely we're dealing with some form of grief. And this episode, we'll be chatting about Dr. Lucy Hone and how she pulled through on the other side of grief, next on Technically a Conversation. Super friends, welcome to another episode of Technically a Conversation. Here, we like to share an interesting topic with each other, which we've recently learned, and hopefully you find it interesting too. I'm one half of your hosts, Isela. Joining me as always is Jose. How are you? Pretty good, considering, but pretty good. <laughs> considering what? Do you want to explain? You didn't hear the bad news? Uh, oh, are we talking about soccer or what are we talking about? No, we're talking about Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck. They will no longer be reprising the roles as Superman and Batman. Is that true? How sad. Per a meeting that they had with double agent James Gunn, they will no longer be returning. What? They were both excellent. How silly. What a bad decision. I agree. Especially Henry Cavill. He was the best Superman, in my opinion. You know what? I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. He... He even looked like Superman, my idea of a Superman. He even sounded like it. <laughs> yeah, but James Gunn is the new head of DC, and he said, out with Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck. So, very sad, very heartbroken. Any suggestions on who's going to replace them? I have no idea. They haven't made any type of announcements. Uh, Henry Cavill broke the news last night. Oh, no, you cried yourself to sleep. I didn't cry, but I was close. I was really close to crying. I don't blame you. I know you love him. <laughs> but how are you, Isela? I am doing pretty good. Yeah, my daughter went to Disney World. Oh, how nice. Yeah, I'm excited, but it's so quiet without her. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel how you feel where you have the house all to yourself. It's like, okay, so now what? <laughs> Yeah, just a random Google speaker just uh, saying things in the background. Right. Yeah. Totally freaky. <laughs> Sounds like the crazy aunt who uh, who's off her pills and just starts uh, <laughs> rambling randomly. <laughs> right. Just for fun. Just to entertain herself. <laughs> <laughs> you know what time it is. You know what time it is. It's shout out time. Okay, wait. I have to admit, every time I do that, you know who that reminds me of a little bit? The character, um, Jess from New Girl. <laughs> you know, she always sang to herself. Oh, I was going to say Shakira, but um, I guess I was way off. Oh, yeah. But I'll take that <laughs> as a compliment. Sure. <laughs> anyway, here's the list, y'all. The Loyal and the Royal. The Queens, Elena and Erica. The Duke. Stephen B. <laughs> Thank you guys so, so much for sharing our posts. Thank you. So the holidays are over by the time uh, this comes out anyway. <laughs> Oh, true. Where does Thanksgiving rank in your list? Mm, I would probably say that's the lowest one. Well, I guess of all the major holidays. Really? Okay. When we're talking about holidays, the three ones that I consider the major ones are Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. The other ones, you know, um, Fourth of July, eh, New Year, eh. But I think those are the three major holidays, at least the way that I consider it. Halloween first, Christmas second, and then... Thanksgiving third. Oh, wow. Okay. So you beat me to my other question, which was, 
Where does Christmas rank? Okay, good. Number two. That's very interesting. How would you rate them? Yeah, I would definitely say Halloween is first, Christmas is second, and then Valentine's Day is like my major three. And New Year's for sure, but not not as fun as those. I don't know. <laughs> Thanksgiving is way down there. <laughs> I mean, it's fun to get together, but it's just really a nice time to have family dinner, basically. Yeah. Well, we talked about a lot of death in our episodes. One might say even too much. <laughs> Never. Just that one crazy person, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually haven't talked about what comes along with death, which is grief. For a lot of people, the holiday season is uh, really low on the list, which could possibly be because of the loss of a family member or somebody close. It just feels really difficult to celebrate without them here. We'll say you and I have a good friend, an old friend, who recently lost her father. We also have a peer in the pod biz who recently lost her grandpa. Personally, I lost two beautiful cousins. All this loss is precisely why I wanted to do a little bit of a different episode today. We're going to talk about grieving. The bulk of the episode is going to come from a story from the podcast Hidden Brain. My goal with the episode is really to help anyone listening out there who might be grieving. This one is definitely for you. What better way to start off the new year? Exactly. Right? Exactly. These are good tools, hopefully. <laughs> Suffice to say this episode will be a little more helpful and hopefully healing than funny. Sounds bueno? I'll see if I can uh, shake that up a little bit. <laughs> okay, great, great. <laughs> so kicking it off, let's talk about the first thing people usually think of when it comes to grieving, the five stages. Do you know the five stages, Jose? Um, sure, I know them, but probably not in order. I want to say one of them is denial. Yeah. Um, one of them is acceptance. I think that's the last one. Yeah, good. You got them bookended. <laughs> good. Um, you know, those are the only two that come to mind right now. Yeah. I think those are the two that are most important, I think, or the ones that I remember usually doing. Yeah, no, no. I, I completely hear you on that. I think the only ones I had remembered were denial, anger, acceptance, and I think like bargaining. But I know there's five, so I don't know what the fifth one is. Well, I'll, we'll read ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how and when did these stages even originate? You know me, I'm always the first person to be like, where did this even come from? <laughs> I want to say Sesame Street. Usually, most great things do. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> In a McGill University article, the link in the show notes, of course, in the 1960s, a psychologist, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, was working with over 200 terminally ill patients, and she noticed that they all fell into a process when it came to accepting their mortality. These psychological phases are the five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, oh, depression, that's the one we can remember, and acceptance. To be clear, this was not based on any study or empirical evidence. These were created by pure conversations with those facing death, what science calls anecdotal evidence. This brings us to our first fun fact. Sometimes people want to spew all this five stages stuff to those who have recently lost somebody, yet the stages were never even about grieving. To be fair, she did say in her book titled, on death and dying, family members undergo different stages of 
adjustment similar to the ones described for our patients. So she was kind of trying to say, oh yeah, the, the grieving will go through something similar. There was a 1981 study tracking 183 widows and widowers through different times of their bereavement. And the results, in fact, did not confirm the existence of separate stages of adaptation. Knowing this now, in your opinion slash speculation, why do you think the general public is so eager to talk about this non-evidence-based model of the five stages, Jose? Well, first of all, I feel better now that I didn't remember the other three. Yeah. I think I remember the the only two that I really usually only go through. I um, don't really recall being angry more so than to just general sadness. But I think that people always try and classify things and put things in, you know, like their own little boxes just because they're mental shortcuts and it makes it easier for people to kind of lump things together. I agree with that. I think as humans in general, we tend to like a checklist maybe or a guide, especially when we're going through something that's really foreign to us. You know, I think we kind of, you know, like to put it in something like that. Plus, when you check something off of a list, it makes you feel better. It's like, all right, I'm checking depression off of this list. Now to move on to anger. Yeah, like done with that stage. Let's get through to the very end, to the bitter end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with those five stages out of the way, first and foremost, I have to say everybody grieves differently. So what do we really know about grief? There is a lot of science, actually, and I promise not to bore you with it all, <laughs> just with one item. <laughs> I got this from the Andrew Huberman podcast. He is a professor of neurology and biology at Stanford. If you want all the ins and outs, you can check out the episode titled The Science and Process of Healing from Grief. Our brains are organs, which amongst many things, they want to predict things. This is why when someone who's recently passed, one can find themselves looking into a room expecting to see them there. And if they always called you at a certain time, you still expect their call. Our brains hold a really deep catalog of experiences and memories with that person. And that has to be remapped in our brains. And it's always mapped on three things, closeness to the individual, space, and time. After death, the relationship with the recently departed has to be remapped. Some people try to remap it based on closeness choosing to minimize how close they really were, thinking they really weren't that close to them after all, essentially trying to detach. The clinical research does show that this is not the best option. What is the best option is just to shift your thoughts and your predictions of the other two items, space and time, meaning one would really have to start expecting not to see that person in that old usual space. Science part down. Next. <laughs> This is a conversation, technically, and this is also technically a conversation <laughs> where we share with the world. So I understand if you don't want to answer the next question. Does this resonate with you at all when you lost someone? Did you expect to see them at a particular place or at certain times? Three of the people, of the closest people I could say that I've lost recently have been my cousin, my grandma, and an uncle. And I guess the first few holidays that I didn't see them or not just holidays, but birthday parties or whatever, it was kind of weird and it was kind of strange because you do get used to seeing them. You know, especially one of my uncles that just recently passed away, he was usually always at my dad's whenever he did something. So he was like that 
constant, I guess. Him not being there, it did kind of feel like there was a void in the family. Same with my grandma when we first lost her. It was so strange not to see her around. And my cousin, he was probably the closest person that I lost. So it was weird just not hanging out with him on the weekends, not being able to go over to, to his house and have a beer. It was pretty strange. Um, I think I forgot your question. <laughs> I hope that I answered it. No, yeah, you absolutely did. <laughs> also, when I went to San Diego a few months ago, I had a hard time stopping myself from expecting to see my cousin there. Usually she greets my family when we get there, uh, like a big smile on her face, hearing her chipper voice. It was really hard to stop myself from expecting that. So I, I completely understand that. It's difficult, especially I think when you have patterns. Like with my cousin, we would get together every time there was a wrestling pay-per-view. Mm. Most of the time we would go over to his house and he would pay for it and, you know, I would take beer or, you know, I would pitch in half or whatever. So I was still watching wrestling at that time and I was aware that a wrestling pay-per-view was coming up, but I knew, you know, we weren't going to be hanging out. Right. That's hard. That's very hard. It was very hard. As mentioned earlier, the following is from a Hidden Brain podcast episode. This one's called Healing Your Heart. It was a really impactful interview full of lessons with Dr. Lucy Hone, author of, brace yourself for this long title, <laughs> Resilient Grieving, Finding Strength and Embracing Life After a Loss That Changes Everything. Back in 2010, Dr. Lucy Hone, who at the time was just Lucy Hone, she was a researcher out of University of Canterbury when a huge earthquake hit New Zealand. 10,000 aftershocks followed the earthquake. It ended up killing 185 people and wiped out most of downtown Christchurch. Thousands lost their homes, just complete devastation. Lucy had started her PhD in resilience psychology. From what I understood, she was helping people through the tragedy, giving resilience therapy to these survivors. Skipping ahead to 2014, Lucy had planned a fun vacation on a long weekend. It was going to be her family, which is her husband, two teenage sons, and her 12-year-old daughter, Abby. She also invited her friend, Sally, and Sally's daughter, Ella, who happened to be the same age as Abby, Lucy's daughter. As they were about to leave for the vacation, Abby asked her mom if she could do the four-hour road trip with her friend, Ella. Mom says, sure, not a big deal. Lucy and her family went ahead first. So, of course, they got there first. They went to dinner even. They weren't worried. They figured Sally and the girls had hit traffic. They later learned there had been a tragic accident. Lucy's friend Sally, Sally's daughter, as well as her own daughter Abby, a car had run through the stop sign and killed everyone, all three of them. That's awful. It's really awful. She had gone through every parent's worst nightmare, and it had thrown her completely into an instant shock. When the officer told Lucy what had happened, she recalled feeling very sick, thirsty, pacing a lot just before she had to identify her daughter's body. Lucy and her husband quickly enlisted the help of a grief counselor, and they told them to just write off the next five years of their life to grief. The death of a child also made them most probable for divorce, family estrangements, and mental illness. Like they don't have enough to deal with already, right? Throw that on top. That's awful. That's shitty. Yeah. The counselors and friends all usually tried to give them some good advice. Of course, they had great intentions, but unfortunately, Lucy just felt worse after speaking with them. She was truly in her darkest hour, seriously questioning, can she even go on? Lucy was open about this, and she did say 
that although she's normally a rather hopeful person, she remembers feeling emotionally and physically exhausted. All hope was lost. Let's find out how Lucy slowly started pulling through to the other side of grief right after this break. Are local lore, legends, and laughter your thing? Then come check out our podcast, or so they say, where two sisters travel small-town America, one ghostly tale at a time. We're your hosts, Midwest Twins, Megan. And Kelsey. Join us every Thursday where you get to hear not just the history behind haunted locations, but our own personal experiences as well. Faceless nuns. Check. Harmonica playing ghost. Check. Tangents that have nothing to do with spooky things whatsoever. You have no idea. So join our spooky crew and follow along as we investigate a haunted place near you. Listen to, or so they say, wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Come check us out. Goodbye. Bye. How was your break? Good. You know what I was actually thinking? Do tell. When you mentioned that long-ass book title. (laughs) Yes. It reminded me about La Pascualita. Oh, yeah, yeah. And apparently, according to my cousin, I did see La Pascualita (gasps) one of the last times I went to Chihuahua. Shut up. You don't remember this? Well, my cousin said that I was so drunk. (laughs) She says, that's probably what you don't remember. But she said, after the concert, we went to have Los Hot Dogs La Pascualita, which are, according to her, the best hot dogs there in in Chihuahua. And she said, it's right in front of La Pascualita, the, the store. And she said, and I surely mentioned that. And she said, I can almost remember us walking over to the storefront and me showing it to you. But she said, you were so drunk. That's probably what you don't remember. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking because we've talked about it a lot. And I really feel like you would really want to remember that. I would want you to remember that. So you could tell me in detail what these crazy hands look like. <sighs> I remember it was at night because we had just finished a concert. So it must have been maybe 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that there would have been enough light for me to have noticed that. But um, yeah, I am sad that I don't remember. (laughs) That was also um, in a prior episode when I had mentioned that I ended up passing out on the toilet and my cousin's husband had to knock down the door because they were very concerned about me. That was the same trip, so. Oh, this all makes sense now. (laughs) This all makes sense. Okay, great. How was your break, Isela? It was lovely. Had some water, just exactly what I needed, ready to dive back in. Excellent. Did you do any grieving during your break? I have not. Okay. Well, maybe some mini grieving because I'm sad my daughter's not around. (laughs) (laughs) But I think everybody got that by when I was at the top of the the episode. (laughs) Let's find out what Dr. Lucy did to start steering the ship through this horrific storm. Anytime something goes wrong, it's normal to think. Why me? Or those endless what-if scenario questions. Just human to think that. But it's counterfactual thinking. Well, Lucy started going through those questions. She was definitely no exception. What if she hadn't planned the vacation because it was her idea? Or what if she didn't let her go in the car? Or what if she had only left 10 minutes later? All of these start to snowball. You can see how it's a runaway train. It's part of the self-loathing that I do every night before going to bed. Or rather, the thing that usually keeps me from going to bed every night. 
<laughs> That's funny. <laughs> You're thinking, what if I didn't have those chili cheese fries? I'm just kidding. I love chili cheese fries. <laughs> anyway. But yes, very quickly she realized those questions didn't help her in any way for two big reasons. Ultimately, it's pointless. What has happened, happened. Secondly, this is usually associated with guilt. Somehow thinking, I could have prevented it. Or even feeling, I should have called them before they passed. These burdens of guilt are really heavy, but simply they don't serve any benefit. Lucy points out her and her husband did find a little relief from thinking she died instantly and they weren't the type of parents that saw the life slowly drain out of their child. In other words, they were trying to concentrate on the tiny bits of life that weren't as bad. This ties back to her resilience training at UPenn. There was a program with soldiers where they created a hashtag, H-T-G-S. It stood for Hunt the Good Stuff. After going through a death, this felt more palatable to her than like, count your blessings. Sometimes the phrasing does make a difference. Find the language that works for you, she said. You'll buy into the larger lesson much sooner. Question for you. When you went through a rough time, did you ever find the little silver lining in things? I know you might not think this since I'm usually a bubble of optimism. Right. <laughs> okay. But most of the time, I don't really look at the silver lining. It's not until after I'm done with the self-loathing that I realize, you know what? It could have been worse. At least this didn't happen. But it's not something that I automatically think of right away. So I can see why she would have to show that, especially to people like soldiers, because some of us aren't programmed to think of that automatically or right off the bat. It takes us a while to get to that stage. I can see if it's not something you're used to doing, you do almost have to be told, you know, to hunt the good stuff or to, as you know, the other language of count your blessings, you know, find that silver lining, whatever it is that speaks to you. You have to kind of get that reminded to you so that it starts becoming a little bit more second nature before, hopefully before you know it. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely see how this would start to shed a little bit of light, you know, to break through those heavy clouds. To her advantage, Lucy had all this knowledge of resilient psychology, which has proven to be helpful for people to cope through traumatic events. Naturally, she thought as a researcher, how would this fare in the context of bereavement? This is where she started forming techniques that gave her some control back into grieving. Because I can only imagine that from her standpoint, it would feel like you're a passenger of the worst roller coaster ever, where all you can do is just hold on until it's over. Lucy noticed there were choices that she could start making to at least improve the times when she was feeling really down. From resilient psychology, she knows that it's vital to choose where you focus your attention. Hence, she started asking herself, those questions of the what if questions, she started saying, nope, that's your limit. You've asked two, now go do something else because more than two will just harm you and she needed to survive this. Same thing when she found herself scrolling through Instagram, looking at pictures, reading all these comments for her daughter, sobbing. She would do that for only a few minutes and she would think, seriously, Lucy, is this helping or harming you? Be kind to yourself. Put your phone away and go to bed. I think this is really admirable. She allowed herself some time to be sad, but had a short time limit for it and forced herself to continue 
on to the next distracting activity. If you take a step back from the story, don't you think this basic question of, is this helping you or harming you, isn't it so transferable to so many situations? It is. I actually heard something very similar to that from Michael Rosenbaum. Oh. One of my favorite Lex Luthers, as you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was talking about, um, I forgot what the term was, but it was something like interruption therapy or in interruption um, scheme or something where when he starts spiraling out of control with all his anxiety, like, oh my God, my dog is starting to get old now. What's going to happen when she dies and all this? The thing is like, stop, stop it. Just stop it in its tracks and not continue lingering on it because it will drive you crazy. And as somebody that suffers from anxiety, I do need to start doing that more is just stopping those crazy thoughts in their tracks. So since you had mentioned that, do you mind me asking how do you almost make yourself self-aware that this is going on too long? At what point in time that you're like, oh my God, I've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 minutes or whatever? Well, that's one of the advantages of having a poor memory is that I usually always forget why I'm spiraling out of control. So um, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, normally um, once I realize that I'm going down a dark path, I say, okay, that's it. That's enough. But I, you know, I just recently learned about this technique. So I haven't really put it into practice too much. Well, good luck. Please tell me how that goes. Cause I think that that could be so useful for so many things. Yeah. This podcast has proven to be my therapist. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. The, the door is open. <laughs> do you ever do anything like that? Uh, I think to be honest, I have done a little bit of that, but I know that it's a waste of time ultimately. So I, I usually don't get too far into it. When I regret something, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of beat myself up for, you know, a, a couple of minutes. And then I think, well, fuck, I just got to learn from it. And that's it. Otherwise, I'll just be there forever kind of beating myself up. Yeah. I think that's probably the best approach to take. Yeah. I mean, from this resilient psychology, it sounds like you allow yourself some time and space to feel your feelings and then off to a distracting activity, which sounds pretty healthy to me. Yeah. This question also of, is this helping or harming you, was the reason why Dr. Lucy and her husband did not attend the trial of the driver who killed their daughter and the family friends. They knew it simply would not benefit them at all. By limiting herself to two what-ifs, granting herself a limited time of scrolling through pictures, it really helped her find a way through grief. She did make it a point to say this was not easy at all. Just know it was difficult, but not impossible. For her, it came down to motivation for survival. She didn't want to lose what she still had over something she had already lost. The University of Penn program was based on the same idea of focusing on what you're doing or thinking. Pay attention to where you pay attention. At the end of the interview, Lucy said a local grief counselor told her that the people who had just lost someone, that they think their grief is going to diminish over time, but it really doesn't. Life just moves forward. Lucy became Dr. Lucy. She went on to write a book, that one with a really long uh, title. While the loss is still very much there, they'll carry her in their hearts always to have her legacy live on. So I thought it was great. Any thoughts? No, I was going to say, I'm just glad that she finally was able to find closure. Yes. 
And luckily she had those years of training and resilience to kind of help her out a little bit, as morbid as that sounds. It's strange that the student becomes the teacher, but this was almost like backwards. The teacher almost had to put these things into practice now where she was so quick to say, okay, do this, do this. Now she found herself, oh shit, I'm in that seat. I have to do these things. And then she realized probably how difficult it was, which is great that she wrote a book on it. Definitely. Any parting thoughts before we close? No, I'm pretty sure I've said enough in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I, I will say one thing just because they had mentioned the whole pay attention to where you pay attention, um, especially because she felt like she was ignoring her family when she was kind of isolating herself and kind of wallowing and stuff. I took a different lesson from it also where you sometimes are ignoring people where be, just because you have a smartphone. And I do want to say, I think it's great that you almost never have your smartphone out, like pretty much never (laughs) when we go out to eat and stuff like that. Because it's, again, paying attention to the people and, you know, the company that's present. So I think that's great. I appreciate that. It also helps that people don't like me, so they never text me. Oh, you guys. (laughs) 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 That's not true. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I think we've all been to restaurants and we see families sitting together and everybody in the family is playing on their phone. It's sad. And I think I made that conscious decision a long time ago that when I do go out, because I don't leave my house very often. So when I do go out, I do want to be present in the moment and I don't want to be consumed by my phone. I mean, I could do that at any other time. Right. But when I'm with somebody, you know, I want to enjoy that person's presence. Yeah. I appreciate that. I just wanted to publicly say that. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. And I think these skills that we learned in this episode are going to help me as I grieve the loss of Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck as my Batman and my Superman. It is sad. There you go. Now you know. Only allow yourself five minutes to grieve about it. And then, vamonos, do some dishes. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I I think five minutes is a little too too short of a time. Oh, my God. Well, congratulations, (laughs) lovelies. You've done it again, folks. You've learned along with us. I truly hope that this reaches anyone going through grief. We hope you've been entertained by our chat and invite you to join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Follow us on the socials at greetingstac. Email us at greetingstac at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have a story to share with us or if you just want to say hello. Or if you have a naughty story to share with Isela. Oh my gosh, no. (laughs) Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking dog. Pinchy perra porque jode.